of textual messages from Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. I hope you've read this book before. It's, it's an amazing book. It's a very humbling, very humbling book. You feel like it's written by two people, like a schizophrenic, <laughs> who's a believer and yet almost like an unbeliever at the same time. Uh, that's who the preacher represents. Uh, there's a term for him. He's like a Jew who's, who thinks like, or no, a, a, like a, a Greek who thinks like a Jew. How's that? So it might be like a, one of the God-fearers of, uh, of Christ's day, or of the Apostle Paul's day, rather. So Ecclesiastes 12, and we'll read all of two verses, the last two in the book, verses 13 and 14. So hear the word of the Lord. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would wing these words and the truths that are contained therein into our hearts that we might fear you and obey you, and not obey you out of sheer legalistic obedience, not out of slavish fear, but out of the fear of offending our Heavenly Father, whom we love, and that by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In whose name we pray, amen. These are Solomon's last words as you as you can see on life under the sun its profits and pleasures and pursuits in Ecclesiastes 1 1 through 3 it reads the words of the preacher the son of David king of Jerusalem vanity of vanities you can't get any any deeper than that you can't any can't get any lower than that. Vanity of vanities, like emptiness of emptiness, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. He repeats himself. All is vanity. This man looks like he's about to jump off of the Coronado Bridge and needs to be rescued by chips. <laughs> when you get closer to the end of life, these things that is, the things of this life, just don't seem to matter all that much, do they? In another place in Ecclesiastes 5, 15 through 17, we read, Ecclesiastes 5, 15 through 17. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor. Paul reiterates that very sentiment, which he may carry away in his hand. Naked, came I into this world naked, will I return to my mother's, uh, to the dust. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath 
he that hath labored for the wind. You know the wind? When the wind blows, it's uh, the place thereof shall know it no more. That's what it says. The place thereof shall know it no more. And so that dust to which our bodies disintegrate, our bodies disintegrate, will be blown away like the wind. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Our bodies are slowly breaking down, are they not? I mean, think about yourself compared to when you were a younger person. Sometimes we take those moments to stop and refresh uh, at uh, any given juncture, especially later on as we are getting close to the end of the road. And, uh, and that breaking down would be fine, except it's accompanied by labor and sorrow. Or as it says here, by sorrow and wrath. And that just only makes it all the more challenging, to say the least. As much as this book focuses upon the brevity of life and the certainty of death, yet death is not the great equalizer of them all. Unless, of course, you're an unbeliever. But who is? Or I should say, what is? I gave it away already. Who is? God is the great equalizer of them all. In Ecclesiastes 3.14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. God created us. And then God destroys us, as it were, or takes us away. And all we can do is bless God, just like was done when in the book of Job, Job lost all of his children. He lost all of his children. He lost his property, but, but to make it worse, he lost his whole family except for his wife. His, at that point, uh, nagging wife. And what did he have to say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know how difficult that must have been for him to say those words? And yet he said it of a truth because it was what was in his heart. Because he believed that God is. You see, faith is believing that God is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so, the great equalizer is God, and especially a God who we'll meet in the judgment day. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, scripture that we all are all very familiar with. King Solomon learned to focus on one's personal relationship with God. You think that personal relationship with God was a phrase coined in, in the 20th century? How you must have a personal relationship with Christ? King Solomon was already after that. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because 
how will you face death and the coming judgment without him in your life? It is pure insanity. It is totally mindless to deny God. And yet we know that the world does. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, it says in Psalm 14. And yet, this is where so many are at right now. And you may know some personally in your life who are there. Martin Luther King once said this. He says, no one really knows why they are alive until they know what they would die for. I thought, this is such an apropos statement in light of, of this subject of the fear of God. But how about changing that what to who? No one really knows why they are alive until they know who they would die for. How about that one? How, how about that to better focus us on the necessity of having this personal relationship with God? If you want to give the gospel, it's so simple. All you tell people is that, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? That's a sim uh, how simple it is to give the gospel. And either they, they will tell you yes, or they will tell you no. And if they tell you yes, then you go to the next question. How do you know him? Or where do you know him from? And that's where you bring in this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 again says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. What does that remind you of? The Ten Commandments. And how God gave Moses two tablets. The one tablet had on it the first four commandments, I believe. And then the second tablet had the last six commandments on it. I understand. And the first tablet, which I will draw your attention to, speaks of our relationship to God. Our relationship to God. It presupposes, that is, the commandments and, and the imploring of, of, uh, on the part of King Solomon to his hearers, to us, to fear God and to keep His commandments, that we have a relationship with God, that we are in covenant union with God. That means to say that we have been joined to God through the mediator of the everlasting covenant, who is only one in the Old and in the New Testament, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is where our hope is. That is where our hope lies. To fear God is first to know God, is my point here. To say that you do fear, you say that you do fear God, and that's wonderful. And I'm not denying that. I'm not questioning that, by the way, by preaching this message. But for us to simply delve more deeply into this, for our own sakes, yes, and that of others that are with us and, and others that are around us, that, as I, as I said earlier, that we want them to know the Lord. But make sure that, again, it is that kind of faith that, or fear, I should say, fear, that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that slavish fear. The fear of a slave who 
is ready to be beaten at a moment's at any moment for a wrong move or perhaps for no reason at all, just at the master's indiscretion and arbitrary whim. See, that's not the fear we're talking about whatsoever. It's not the kind of fear that one has as a tyrant over his subjects. And there are, sadly, churches that have been that way, where the leadership is overly heavy-handed. And that's not honoring to the Lord. But neither is a church that is not considerate of sin in the life of the body of Christ and the importance of dealing with that. As I've even had occasion to be used in that in the life of Christ's churches in the Philippines. But it's the kind of fear that God wants that I believe you and I also want, and that is the fear of a son or a daughter and not offending that loving parent, in this case, our Heavenly Father. If you're not a true be- a believer in Christ in the Bible sense of the word, or if you are, and especially if you are, because that's what I believe of, of all of you here, here are two areas to help us to develop a true fear of God. And the first is to consider God himself. To consider God himself. He is infinite. And I'm going to read to you some scriptures just for the sake of time, just, just like water that's uh, flowing down a river. Okay? He is infinite, it says in Psalm 147, 4 and 5. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our God, and of great power his understanding is infinite. He is all-powerful. It also says in Daniel 4.35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or, stand, or say unto him, What doest thou? He is all-knowing. Job 42.2 I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You'll have to read the whole book of Job. This is like the tail end of, of, of that, that book. We're talking about the tail end of Ecclesiastes. That's the tail end of that book, the book of Job. When he comes to this summary of it all, and, and that is that God is omniscient, even as he is omnipotent and infinite. And he is all holy and righteous and just in Habakkuk 2.20, which I quoted this morning. But the Lord is in his holy temple, but let the earth keep silence before him. And that is why worship cannot just be a rock concert, as it were, but must be a place of solemn reverence as well as joyful praise to God. This is what the preacher said in another book, in the book of Proverbs. And so 
in Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chain or chains about thy neck. I met in the Philippines those who fear God. In fact, most of the nation fears God, I am told, because the majority of the people are religious, mostly Roman Catholic, of course, but also other religions as well, in, as, as well as cults. But they are a people who fear God with a slavish fear. And why do I say that? Because they did not know the God of the Bible. And I'll just end with that. But there's another area to help you and me to develop a true fear of God. And that is to consider what God does. What God does, not only what God is or who God is, but what God does. Especially when he shows wrath. That's something that we don't hear much about these days, is it? We hear a lot about love. In fact, can I say 90%? If I, I haven't done the statistics or I haven't done a poll, but I would venture to say that 90% of the preaching today is about God's love and not about God's wrath. Well, we need both. But we need God's wrath first, just as we need God's law first and then God's gospel second. You need to know what the sickness is before you can present the remedy. That's, that's the order. And so the gr first great truth of two that I'm going to bring up to you in terms of what God does is the wrath of God. Romans 1, 18. <clears throat> Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God, there it is, in the New Testament, not in the Old. You see, many say, oh, we're, you know, yeah, we, we believe that the Old Testament is part of the Bible. But the Old Testament pictures God as a God of wrath. Huh? Here we have, in the New Testament, the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And the word hold means suppress. In other words, that God has revealed this in us and man by nature knows it. And that's why when he hears the gospel, it's like, huh? like that, right? It's like all of a sudden he, he comes to attention. It's because he knows it, but what is he doing? Suppressing it. Just like trying to put a, a, a buoy. Have you ever seen those buoys out there? They're pretty big. I mean, some of them are small, and you can push them underwater. But what inevitably happens is once you let go, what? The buoy goes, whoop, right? And guess what? It'll always do that <laughs> until you tire out and leave. <laughs> well, that's how we are towards God's truth. God's truth just keeps popping up, you know, and we keep trying to suppress it. Well, that's the wrath of God that is 
revealed in the scriptures. The doctrine of eternal punishment. Did you know that the doctrine of eternal punishment could not have been invented by man? There's no way he could come up with it. Where in all false religions do we have the equivalent of hell? It is only in Christianity that it is presented. Because why? It's the truth. And the Bible is the most honest book there is. It is so honest that the writers of Scripture, the very prophets of God, the very apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, all confess that they are sinners. Where have you heard that? And yes, the world will turn that around and use that against Christianity and say, see, see, hypocrites. Maybe we need to look at this another way, namely God's way. Maybe you need to realize that this is a truth of God. That is that God is wrathful against sin, even and especially in his people. Because vengeance, he says, begins in the house of God. That's where it starts. That's where the judgment day will begin. Now, thankfully, if you're in Christ, you'll be justified. And, and the Father will say, enter thou into the joy of my son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But our sins will be left outside the door, right? And he will, he will leave the wood, hay, and stubble outside the door, right? And we will get to bring with us into the house of the Lord the gold, silver, and precious stones. I was in a, on an island that mines gold. The people there, the city, that, or the city, the town there of Ocampo that's on the island exists for the only reason, for only one reason, and that is finding gold. <laughs> that's a different kind of gold we're talking about here, though. A different kind of gold that is in the Word of God. All false religions do not talk about hell. But listen to the Bible where our Lord Jesus says in Luke 16, the following, in Luke 16, 23 and 24. And in hell, our Lord says, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he crieth and saith, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. If this is not reality, I don't know what is. No one has ever been there and come back. But the Lord knows because he made it. And not just for the devil and his angels. And there's no way out. Verses 25 and 26. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted and thou art tormented. And beside it, all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. A great gulf fixed. You ever been to the Grand Canyon? That's, that's a great gulf, isn't it? But you know what? That doesn't even compare with this one. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. There's no way to cross it. The Grand Canyon, yes. It might take some effort. It might take 
some tired legs at the end of the road, but I'll tell you what, or a, or a burrow, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can do it on a burrow or a, or a donkey, but not this one. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There's no way that either from hell or from heaven could cross this great chasm. It is so great. It is so, so expansive. So infinite. There's no way out. And yet, <clears throat> it's true. Regardless of these writers, even Reformed writers, who are writing about the non-existence of hell. Because somehow, in, well, of course, in their minds, who, who wants to contemplate people being in such a place forever? And I understand that. I'm there. But what's truth is what matters. And if this is true, then I need to do my best to prepare myself and to prepare my loved ones and to prepare my neighbors and to prepare everyone I can that I meet along the way for this event of such proportion that the world has never seen. <clears throat> so do you want a good reason to fear God? Here it is. As our Lord says, fear not them which kill the body. We, we fear uh, these that are uh, war, the Hamas. And, and by the way, the Hamas were in the United States a long time ago, influencing our uh, black Muslims a long time ago. Okay, that's another story. Or communists, like the Chinese, or anyone else for that matter that, uh, that kills the body but who are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear him. Go down on your face before him and cry out for mercy that he will save you, that he would save your loved ones, that he would save this world. That's how we are to come to God. There's another way that we attain godly fear. And the second truth and last is this, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ, where Christ suffered and died for the sins of his people. <clears throat> when you try to earn God's favor on your own by trying to keep his commandments by yourself, you will find it to be a losing and hopeless and daunting endeavor that will, you will never, never suffice nor be satisfied. But most of all, neither will God. Because who can do it? For there is not a just man on the face of this earth that doeth good and sinneth not, the Bible says. Because the Apostle Paul says, therefore, by the deeds of the law can no flesh be justified. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If anything, you're trying to keep the law will only condemn you because it will reveal your sin to you and reveal the fact that even in your attempt to keep the law, you are breaking the law. If in nothing else, in your motive, in your, in your mind, in, in your not doing it to the glory of God, but perhaps some other lesser and uh, self-motivated purpose. 
rather than being justified by our attempts to keep the law perfectly because we cannot, we end up being condemned anyway. As Galatians 3.10 says, for as many as are the works of the law, meaning those who are of this mindset of trying to do good works to be saved. Okay, not just the Jews, but we can apply that to all world religions except for Christianity. I'm going to be so bold as to say that because it's the truth. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. And the curse is not my curse. It is not my neighbor cursing me. It is not the law of the land cursing us. It is the curse of God. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3.10. Galatians 3.10. Maybe we need to, to turn to this one because it really does behoove our attention. It is one of those exclusive or verses of exclusivity that doesn't leave any rocks unturned. It doesn't leave any way out, no option uh, outside of the one offered as the only hope of redemption. Again, verse 10 of Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And what book is that? This. By this standard, none of us will make it. None of us. None of us will make it to heaven. If we were to try to get to heaven by, as someone said, by pulling up our bootstraps. <laughs> if you ever had to wear boots to do some uh, like climbing, you know, <laughs> you need boots because otherwise uh, you ain't going to get very far. But anyway, you, you cannot do that to get into heaven by your own efforts, your own good works, by your keeping the law yourself. And so what is our hope? It is Jesus. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. You see that? His substitutionary atonement is being made a curse in our place. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And the tree spoken of here is none other than the tree of Calvary, where our Lord died. So that, my friends, my brethren, is our only hope. And so take time to meditate upon this. I remember one gentleman whose diary I uh, was privy to by a former pastor that uh, was a disabled person, but who nevertheless wrote his diary every day very dutifully. And one thing that stood out to me was how he would begin his day. He would say, every day, reading the passion of Jesus. And, and his reason was to humble himself so that when he began the day, he began it on his knees before God. And I always remember that, and I thankfully have gleaned from that in my life as well. Take time to think upon our Lord's agonies. No wonder the bloody sweat of Gethsemane when it says that he prayed more earnestly in his sweat were as great drops of blood. 
No wonder the cry from the cross when he cried about the ninth hour of his death or his, his dying. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No wonder why the Holy One of God who knew no sin, who did no sin, for there was no sin in him, was dying as our sin bearer on the cross. For he, God the Father, holy God, hath made him, Christ his Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you and I come to realize what Christ endured for our sins to save us from the wrath of God, it should cause us to fear God in a way that a loving and reverential child would his heavenly father as i mentioned i <clears throat> i visited this island this gold panning city and they had a machine going 24 7 right next door to where we had a little uh, uh little getaway on our last night and uh, the windows were were open there's there's no windows actually it's just you know bars it's like being in jail except you had a door you can go in and out and get and not have, and not be locked in but anyway the windows in the bedroom had 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 uh, cover covers on them and i understand now why but the the windows in the main room the eating area and the uh, kind of the living room didn't and when i went out to use the restroom uh, the restroom was out there too. I could hear the noise. It was the racket, and I could smell the fumes from this machine that's making, grinding up the ore, you know, uh, all night long, all night long. I don't know how we got to sleep that night, but, but Marikar slept like a log, and, and, and I did too. But uh, anyway, why did I bring that up? <laughs> oh, this town. This, this town was devoted to that. You understand? The first elementary school, I understand, was started just a few short years ago. So the, the, the parents and the grandparents were never educated. And then when I asked, when I, I preached to a group, there was a large group of them, we were providing uh, ch chippies and cookies, you know, chip, uh, from a church of our, my sister-in-law donated to them. And we brought that, and that, that drew them, but... Before they could get that, and also some um, for the kids, especially because uh, they don't have things like pencils and paper. Marikar had pencils and paper. Oh, they were lined up for for the pencils and paper. But before they could get those things, they had to hear the word. That's where I came in. And while I was I was preparing my message, you know, in in in, in this little uh, getaway, I could hear all this noise out there. I'm wondering. It's so noisy all of a sudden outside, you know. And they're all waiting for me, you know. <laughs> and as soon as I open the door, like, huh? <laughs> I tell you, it was it was remarkable. But one thing I, I, I one thing I will I will mention. The folks there feared God. When asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? They said, Yes, he's the Son of God. They knew that much, but that's it. They did not know the love of God. They did not know what the love of God did in, in sending His only begotten Son into the world to die for sinners and how you can personally have that for yourself. You can personally be 
made a child of God by receiving Jesus Christ. They did not know that. They did not know that at all. It was so heartrending to see that. And yet at the same time to see this eagerness to want to know more. I know that the next trip we'll be bringing Bibles there. Or Joseph is who goes back and forth. That's his second home. That's his second home. In conclusion, um, Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13. I'm going to read that for you. That's in closing. Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13. There are two classes of people. It says in Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. We talk about the two classes of people, those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ, and that is the truth. That is the bottom line. The preacher puts it in a slightly different angle. Those who fear God and those who don't. And I'm talking about fearing God in this loving and reverential manner. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, they were, all, then were they all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which loved them and gave himself for, that, for them. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Live to fear God. Live to fear God. I'll close with the reading of a hymn that is not one we're going to sing, and so that's why I'm going to go ahead and just read it. Not what my hands have done, can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. When you are in Christ, you're free. You're a free person. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Let us pray. O Father in heaven, how we thank you. How we thank you that you have taken from us the fear of death and of hell, of condemnation for our sins, by your having condemned your Son in our place on the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. O oh, help us, O oh God, in the light of this new life, this life of true freedom, that we would live nevertheless in loving and humble and fearful obedience of you, fearful to offend, 
our Heavenly Father who loved us so much that He purchased us with the blood of His own Son. Thank You, Lord, for saving our soul. Thank You, Lord, for making us whole. Thank You, Lord, for giving to us Your great salvation, so rich and so full and free. In Christ's precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. Okay, well, we have one more hymn.